last word on the environment on Today FM. With ESB Networks, connecting you to a clean electric future. ESBnetworks.ie It's our weekly environment spot with John Gibbons who wants to talk about how global warming is impacting on our sleep. How, John? Yeah, um, I guess one of the signatures, if you like, of uh, global warming is is the obviously the greenhouse effect, which we all we all know about. But what that means is that the Earth heats up during the day with incoming uh, sunshine and so on. Now at night, most of that heat radiates back into space. So obviously, nights tend to be a lot cooler than the day. Now what we're finding is that as temperatures are rising, they're actually rising more at night. And the reason for that, of course, is that the atmosphere is now thicker with greenhouse gases. So the the heat energy that used to bounce back into space at night is now being kind of trapped in that blanket of of, uh, greenhouse gases. So this is having effects and probably one of the effects we know, for example, that increased temperatures around the world are are leading to all kinds of health impacts. So you you find that the global medical community are identifying climate change as probably the most serious health emergency of the 21st century and considering we've just come through COVID, that's quite a statement, but that's where they're at. And in particular, the way that... uh, increased heat at night affects human physiology. I think this is probably probably the issue. So, for example, um, the over 65s, they, they suffer the most. They will experience twice as much sleep loss. So, essentially, if your, your body at night, in order to recover, needs to cool down, now, it needs, and even here in Ireland, in a, in a coolish country like this, we know that on a, on a warm summer's evening, sometimes even with the window open, how difficult it can be to get to sleep. If you find that you're too warm and you can't shed that extra heat, you're pulling off the quilt, you're trying to cool down. Or if down. you're away on a foreign holiday. Absolutely. And you find that you're in an unusually warm climate, yeah. you find it much harder to sleep. Much harder to sleep. So what they're finding is, on average, people are losing one hour of sleep a night. So many people, millions of people, are now going into what's called sleep deficit, where they're dropping to seven hours or less sleep per night. Now, this is having all kinds of effects on health. So, for example, it increases violence in society, it increases suicide rate, it increases heart disease. These are just some of the direct connections to people's sleep hygiene being broken down. As I say, the body uses the night. We obviously spend roughly a third of our lives asleep, but that isn't a wasted time. That's the time when your body basically does running repairs. And if it can't cool down adequately, what happens is the stresses that you've accumulated during the day the body is unable to repair. So you accumulate injuries, you accumulate disease, in fact, because of your body's inability to cool down to a safe temperature at night. And it's been described... It's an now, argument, maybe, John, for only the air conditioning. Of course it is. And, of course, those of us in the in the world where we're fortunate enough, Matt, to have access to air conditioning, you're absolutely right. We can flick on the air conditioning and we get down to a, to a, a comfortable temperature. But on that, it's, it's quite surprising, and I, I really was surprised to discover that the effects can be felt as low as 10 degrees centigrade. So you can have like relatively mild conditions in Ireland, say that kind of temperature at night, 10 yeah. degrees, even at that level, 10 to 12 degrees, uh, people are finding that they're beginning, it's beginning to impact their ability, mostly their ability to fall asleep in the first place, that you find yourself tossing and turning, you're stressed. We've all done this. We've rolled around the bed, you've got out, you've drunk some water, you get back into bed, you pull off the quilt. And essentially what we're seeing, of course, here in Ireland, we can mitigate this obviously through the use of shutters, uh, through blinds, through air conditioning in some cases uh, but the problem of course for most people in the world is that they can't mitigate this we've seen this and we've spoken uh, recently about this we have this ongoing severe heat wave in India and Pakistan affecting over a billion people where temperatures Matt, at night are dropping typically not below 28 degrees now 
thousands of people are dying as a result of this. But it's, it's a silent killer. Uh, unlike, say, a cyclone or a hurricane where, where you can see the bodies strewn everywhere, heat is a much more insidious killer. And you find, for example, that they only detect the effect of a heat wave days and weeks afterwards. And we saw the same thing, by the way. Do you remember the US heat waves, the heat dome mm. in, in the US last year? It was in the weeks afterwards that when they, when they examined the mortality statistics that they discovered this big bulge in unexplained deaths. And that was as a result of heat stress and, and heat stroke. And it's, as I said, very insidious because people die quietly and they die in their ones and twos. And that's the sort of effect that we're looking at. And looking out, Matt, into the future, uh, we have scientific projections that say that 3.5 billion humans will be exposed to severe heat on a routine basis within the next 50 years. That's roughly half the population of the world. Now, whether that hits Ireland or to how much of the year you'll find Irish people stressed by that remains to be seen. But that's an awful lot of people experiencing ongoing heat stress and, of course, the impacts on their sleep. I want to move to something else. Who cares if Miami is six metres underwater? Indeed, yeah. This is a remark, a, a very unusual remark by a gentleman called Stuart Kirk. Stuart is a, a long-time journalist with the Financial Times. Uh, he had been a... No, sorry, I think he was from S, uh, no, HSBC he is. Yeah, no, Asset he, Management, wasn't That's it? correct, but he, he was before that, Matt. He was a long-time journalist with the Financial oh, yeah, Times. Oh, yeah, he made this comment at a Financial Times correct. event. Correct, yes. Okay. In fact, he, he bemoaned the fact that the best uh, days of his career were with the Financial Times, which is kind of strange considering he now works for, for HSBC. So he's moved to an investment bank. So his background, if you like, is in a combination of financial journalism and now he works as what's called a responsible investment manager. So uh, basically, this is a Financial Times event. The whole thing was recorded. Uh, his his uh, presentation apparently was pre-approved by his bosses, but now they're all not so much walking away from him as running away from him. And as you said, uh, he made this remarkable statement. He said that, uh, who cares if Miami is six metres underwater? Uh, and anyhow, if you look at Amsterdam, Amsterdam is six metres underwater and that's no problem. Now, a couple of things to say about that. Number one, Amsterdam is two metres, not underwater, but below sea level. And of course, Amsterdam, the Dutch have been fighting for centuries to keep the sea out. So the notion, I think, I think Stuart has got a little bit confused here between stable sea level and a low-lying country. And how on earth would a city like Miami adapt to six metres. Now that in old money, Matt, that's about 20, 21 feet of sea level rise. Now, they're his, his figures, by the way. I'm not saying that that's going to happen this century. And I think in, in looking at, at Stuart's presentation, what, what struck me really more than anything else is there's an enormous amount of confusion in the financial community and indeed in the, in the, among economists about the impacts, the financial and other impacts of climate change. Now, for example, his argument is, look, there's really no point in dealing with climate change from a financial point of view because, look, according to the IPCC, the worst that will happen is it'll lop about 5% off GDP by 2100. And sure, anyway, by 2100, GDP will have increased between 500% and 1000%. We'll all be rich. So therefore, a tiny bit of climate change around the edge. The problem with that is it's a profound misunderstanding. Like we spoke three minutes ago about three and a half billion people being heat stressed in 50 years. Now, unfortunately, when economists do their calculations, they assume that normal economic activity can happen against a background of temperatures uh, and, and increases in, in extreme weather, precipitation, flooding events, storms that scientists say are going to basically bring the house down. So we have this strange paradox, Matt. Yeah, but he also said in the presentation that throughout his 25-year career in the finance industry, there's always been some, quote, nut job warning him about the end of the world. And he also said unsubstantiated, shrill, 
partisan, self-serving, apocalyptic warnings are always wrong. Yeah, I mean... Maybe he's listened to the last word, John. This is possible, Matt. This is possible. But in fact, if he held a mirror up uh, to his own analysis, and this is the thing, I studied his his, his uh, report in some detail, and basically it's just plain wrong from start to end. And I wish it were otherwise. But unfortunately, the, this chap simply hasn't done his homework. And it is worrying, Matt, that the advice, the people who listen to folks like Stuart and to economists are important folks like governments and the media. They actually take this stuff seriously. And I'm not a bit surprised in the light of this that we still have huge widespread public confusion about just how serious this is. To finish though you've got a good news story for climate. Yeah absolutely uh this week, the Australia, finally, after about a decade, ha- we have a, a change of government. So uh, Scott Morrison, uh, known locally or, 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 uh, as Scotty from marketing, and that is not intended, I believe, as a compliment, uh, he led, a, I suppose, a ver- an ultra-conservative group called the Liberals for the last decade or so. And really, uh, they have absolutely set their face against even the mildest climate action. And also, they've been back to the hilt by uh, Rupert Murdoch, who, of course, is uh, an Australian himself, and his incredibly partisan media organisation. So they've backed him up to the hilt. And what's happened this time is he's basically gotten a kick in the pants because what we've seen is, first of all, the the Labour Party have been swept into power, but we've also had the Greens in Australia have achieved 12% of the first preference, which is completely unprecedented. And a group of independents, mostly female independents, running on on a canvas of climate action. Because it's a really strange thing, Matt. Australia traditionally known as the lucky country, has been battered by severe weather. We had the the deadly um, bushfires of 2020, three and a half billion animals killed. We have the uh, ocean acidification that is destroying the... the, um, Barrier Reef. The Barrier Reef, thank you, yeah. And you've got a whole... Like, it's essentially, it's a subtropical country with a large desert in the middle, highly, highly vulnerable. And yet, it's the world's number three exporter of fossil fuels. It's a strange paradox of a first world country which makes its money by selling coal to China. It's a, it's a really paradoxical country. And, of course, its politics have been contaminated by the fossil fuel industry. And, of course, Morrison famously presented a big lump of coal in Parliament at one stage and was waving it around, telling us that this is the basis of our prosperity. And, of course, what we're now seeing, and I think, I hope, this is a lesson for politicians maybe closer to home. You can ignore climate change for a while, but eventually the public are ahead of you in this and they will kick you. Donald McCroom says, last summer in Ireland, we had two nights where the temperature didn't drop below 20 degrees. That's right. John Gibbons, thank you very much. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.